Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. And today is a very special Games on Film because it is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Yes, this marks a year since we began and our first episode proper covering the 2018 film Tomb Raider. So we decided to go back to the world of Lara Croft, dust re- it off, revisit the character, and look at the original incarnation, at least on the big screen, of Lara Croft in the film. Lara Croft Tomb Raider. So are we going to call it Lara Croft Tomb Raider or just to differentiate? Um, Yeah, you know, in my notes I wrote Angelina's Tomb Raider. (laughs) Um, But actually Lara Croft Tomb Raider kind of rolls off the tongue. We'll see how we go. Yeah. We think we've both listened back to our original Tomb Raider episode. And um, I had a right old trouble with names. Yes. Um, Himiko. 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 I've remembered Himiko. And the island? I I only thought you'd quiz me on Himiko. I didn't... Oh, him... him I'm going to say Himeji. No. Begins with a Y. Y- Yamakai. Yamatai. Yamato? Yamatai. Yamatai. Anyway, uh-huh. luckily, we have names like Lara and Alex and Bryce and all sorts of names. I'll be able to get my tongue around here. So, happy days. But yes, one year since we started this podcast. I think the big question we've always been asking is, is there such thing as a good video game movie? Yeah, small combat. Um, so um, I guess that's where we're ending it. Well, yes, I, I, I to take stock of the you know twenty five or so films we've done because we've done a few sort of non video game movies or we've tackled topics like The Simpsons and Castlevania as as a TV series, etc. But I, I suppose if we were going to go by video game movies, I would probably say out of those we've covered, so. Just the games canon. on film canon. Just on games on film canon, I would probably pick Mortal Kombat as my number one so far. Mm. I think though my biggest surprise has been Dead or Alive. I yes. feel like I might actually put on Dead or Alive more than Mortal Kombat because I was tickled throughout, and um, I think we we're, were discussing the film with our, with our friend of the podcast slash brother Hamish about how. Yes, it's traded on its on the on the lady sexuality and things, but the nuts and bolts of the film is about friendship and empowerment. And um, I think that might be a subject we'll talk about a little bit um, when it comes to Tomb Raider. Indeed, uh, the new Dead or Alive game, Dead or Alive Six, is out now. It's out now in all good shops. Um, though Tesco's was stocking an interesting film. Um, I think it was called The Tomb. And it had a picture of Lara Croft. I think it's called The Tomb Hunt. Well, when I was looking up Tomb Raider uh, stuff, I think, on Xbox, I was recommended a film called Tomb Invader, mm. which had, from 2018, which had a very similar-looking, shall we say, archaeologist. Yeah. So, yeah, this DVD, The Tomb, was a, a Lara Croft-type lady with a bow and arrow. It's sort of engineered to confuse uh, mums and grandmothers everywhere. 
Um, just a cheap knockoff. Buying them for their sons and grandsons. <laughs> yes. You like sexy archaeologists, aren't you? I mean, we talked at length about Tomb Raidering and what is a Tomb Raider in our first Tomb Raider episode. In this film, people keep using the phrase Tomb Raider interchangeably with archaeologist. Yes, different characters say, well, you're the Tomb Raider. Hmm. I mean, that was Alex, the quote-unquote love interest, though he's, he doesn't really function that way. He he says, oh, you're the Tomb Raider. And then later on, the villain refers to him as a Tomb Raider. And do you think Alex is like, I'm not, I'm a proper archaeologist. <laughs> They're trying to make Tomb Raider happen. Oh, yeah, I mean, t- Tomb Raider was very much in the public consciousness back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've all been playing the games. They yeah. know. Well, we didn't actually talk much about Tomb Raider... The original games when we covered our Alicia Vikander 2018 Tomb Raider um, just Tomb Raider episode yes we'll just call that Tomb Raider this is Lara Croft Tomb Raider yep we didn't mention much about the original games because the film Tomb Raider was based on the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot of the games so we didn't really touch too much about our experiences of the first game but I'm not sure we have much to share. I remember playing the original Tomb Raider a little bit. Mm. I think the only one either of us played maybe extensively was Tomb Raider The Last Revelation, at least of the original versions of Lara Croft. Yeah, I think we did mention this. We played uh, <laughs> yeah, we played Dribs and Drabs, I think we mentioned. But um, yeah, we played Tomb Raider The Last Rev- Revelation um, on the Dreamcast. Um, I remember being it being a very, very, very dark game and we were playing it in a very, very bright room. So I think I just I did give up with it eventually because I just kept dying. But just before we recorded this episode, last night I decided to download a demo for Tomb Raider Legend on Xbox mm-hmm. 360, which is not in the original series effectively it actually marked a a bit of a soft reboot of the franchise before the 2013 tomb raider game the gameplay was still fairly similar to the original games you leap acrobatically in the air do all kinds of backflips and stuff while you're shooting baddies and lots of sliding block puzzles Mm. and all that kind of stuff this uh, DVD uh, for Lara Croft Tomb Raider has a special feature going into the design of of the original game, and it mentions how Lara Croft was originally created as a male protagonist. Mm. I do wonder if um, he did all the sort of sexy splits, handstands, and backflips and, and shooty shootings that Lara does, because the the, the character of the design of this original uh, archaeologist is he's wearing like a, car, a white khaki suit and a um, great white hunter sort of hat. He looks more like Belloc than Indiana Jones. Mm, yeah, and so I did wonder if he did sort of um, all these uh, sexy pouty moves. I think probably not. I mean, Lara Croft, as an iconic video games character, is very much established. I mean, mm. it's it's hard to even... You, the, the front cover of the Guinness Book of Records video game edition will have Lara on there somewhere. Yeah, the, you, it's hard to really describe just how much of an impact it was. Even though video games now are blockbuster media properties, mm-hmm. Lara Croft had real mainstream crossover appeal in a way that video games didn't really have at the time. Sure, everyone knew who Mario was, everyone knew who Sonic was later on with Pokemon, Pikachu and things, but 
you'd have Lara Croft appearing in all sorts of guises and shapes and forms, and I'm sure not all of it was down to the fact that it was a video game character. No, it was riding the wave of the PlayStation's popularity as well. Although she was greatly associated with PlayStation, she first appeared on the Sega Saturn, the, the nexus of of the PlayStation cool with this new um, dynamic video game character. And I think though... I can't remember if it became it came before or after Mario 64. I think it came just after, but more um, people had a PlayStation. She became the figurehead of that kind of video gamer. That sounds like a real sounds like a real slur. I gotta admit, when I because Rory and I were Nintendo kids, didn't have a PlayStation until much later. I would roll my eyes at the whole Tomb Raider thing, especially the Lara thing. And part of that, I was saying, yeah, oh, it's just a sexist Barbie bimbo puppet, but. Maybe I'd feel differently if I had a PlayStation. Yeah, whether the intentions of the developers were quite along those lines or not, I mean, I think they usually look at that as Lara as being empowering. And and I think there is a lot of evidence to say that it's Lara that got a lot of girls into video games mm. in a way that maybe they hadn't done before. But I think the problem is, is that she came out at a time when there was this whole loading, blokey lad culture which was so prominent in Britain at least at the time it's it's like she became very much swept up and embedded in that regardless of what the intentions of the character were and it's an digital creation it is really funny looking back at this now it's um Tomb Raider this film Lara Croft Tomb Raider <laughs> came out was it 17 and a half years ago yeah and so uh-huh. we'll say the Tomb Raider phenomenon was about 20 years old now and you can I think there's an archive of uh, I recently found on the internet of um, you know, 90s UK game mags, and it's I know times the times are change, mm. but it's kind of faintly horrific and sort of hilariously so. But I remember being a kid in the 90s and and or a teenager and just thinking, gosh, we're we're nothing like the 70s. And then you look at sort of the pop culture of of when Tomb Raider came out it's just the same maybe a different different hue but pretty terrible and it's not just this advertising in video game realm as being sexist or using sets to sell itself in the way lots of stuff about joysticks and the best fun you can have like with two hands or all this kind of stuff but even Nintendo uh, infamously mm. with their Ocarina, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time advert saying, will you get the girl or play like one? I think it's will thou, will thou get the girl or play like I'm one? I'm sorry, I forgot they couched it in oldie worldy yes. English to make, make it, it seem more fantasy oriented. Mm. It was just it was just the time. I mean, we are two blokes talking about sexism back in the day where we were perhaps not so cognizant of it. You mentioned about girls getting into video games partly due to Tomb Raider um, mm-hmm. again not for a moment suggesting it, Tomb Raider was the only thing which allowed girls to introduce video games of course not um, no. but looking back on the Tomb Raider film and the video games it's very easy to just look at the big boobs and and the sexism and, and I think you mentioned about her being in magazines she was I think the first she was the first digital character to be on the Face magazine, I think, mm. and maybe do like a Playboy it's, shoot or something. Yeah, I do, I, yeah, I do remember that angular but- bottom appearing 
out of the bed. Excuse the expression, but if you strip all that away, I found a lot to like about Lara Croft in the film and now looking back at, at her character. She mm. she is she she's the lead in her own story. That sounds rubbish, but you what am I trying to say? Hero. Robert? I mean she is a hero. She is she's empowered, she's she's a powerful character. So uh, yeah, we, we solved misogyny <laughs> <laughs> on games of film. I saw Captain Marvel and I liked it. I just want to say. <laughs> I thought it was all right. Okay. So when this film came out, um, it was during uh, my gap year, so I had a lot of free time. <laughs> I remember being quite infatuated with Lara Croft in the film Lara Croft Tomb Raider, but, but not for the reasons you think. I, um, I saw her running around and being all fit, and I thought, oh, I, I could be that. And so I got a personal trainer... And I wanted basically Lara Croft's body. <laughs> and I wanted her tummy for specifically. Okay. She has a very flat tummy in this film. And um, I just remember doing like 10 or 20 press-ups in the living room of my personal trainer, picturing her midriff, thinking I could have that. But surely press-ups don't do your stomach. Well, I mean, look at me now. It's like <laughs> it's 17 years later and... It's uh, <laughs> uh, should have done some crunches. I should. She, she, apparently, personal training back in the early two thousands, not all it's cracked up to be. Did we see it in the cinema together? I remember seeing it at Wells Film Centre. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, so we saw <laughs> it together, where we also saw Pokemon, the first movie, and mm. I guess many of our other uh, blockbuster favourites, circa maybe nineteen ninety eight mm. onwards. Yeah, or Godzilla, whatever. the Matthew Broderick one. Yeah, so we we. Saw it at the time, and we've I think seen it quite a few times mm. since. It was it was an early DVD purchase. Yeah, I think the special collector's edition, which you hold in your hands mm. right now. Uh, so before we uh, go any further, we'll have spoilers for Lara Croft Tomb Raider in this episode. But Harry, would you like to take us through the back of the box? Sure. Well, on the front of the box, it says surely dot dot dot. Makes a sensational action woman. It's Maxim's film of the month. Great. The whole month. Thanks, Maxim. Lara Croft, the world's most famous video game heroine, bursts onto the big screen in, quote, the most stylish and entertaining action-adventure movie in years. Exploring lost empires, finding priceless treasures, punishing village- villagers in Mortal Kombat... She went to a village and beat up the entire village. Punishing villains in Mortal Kombat, it's all in a day's work for adventurer Lara Croft, Angelina Jolie, but a secret from her father, John Voight's past, is about to lead Lara to her greatest challenge, the Triangle of Light, a legendary artefact with the power to alter space and time. Lara must find the triangle before it falls into the clutches of the Illuminati, a secret society bent on world domination. To stop the Illuminati, Lara have to survive a cross-continental chase filled with unimaginable danger. But for the Tomb Raider, danger is the name of the game. And also, uh, Neil Roberts of The Sun says, uh, Jolie doesn't just impersonate computer game heroine Lara, she is Lara. That'd be horrifying. Angelina Jolie gets to the end of the shoot she rips off her face and she's like a big block face looks like Minecraft and she blows her kiss with her block hand and she pirouettes out of there she unzips her human suit Mm. and outcrawls 
CGI Lara. Pitzel Lara. Mm. We are running out of time. And if we fail, we must wait another 5,000 years. Well, I don't know about you, but that's more time than I'm prepared to commit to this enterprise. This summer, the planets will align. It was the Illuminati who swore to bring their ancestors back to life. Time will stand still. Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? It gives its possessor power of the light. And the fate of mankind... Eternal hell revives! ...will rest in the hands of one. Ooh. Don't start. You're quite an authority on things ancient and mythological. That's why I travel. It's an ancient clock. It was hidden in a secret room. It glows, but it's getting brighter. Like it's counting down to something. You can build, destroy, move back and forth through time. The future is yours now, Lara. We're the only one with the strength to destroy the power of the light. We can be partners. You might try to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. I said you'd try. Time to save the universe again, then, is it? Absolutely. On June 15th... The biggest adventure of the summer begins. Angelina Jolie is Lara Croft. This is where I start to have fun. Tomb Raider. I guess we should talk a little bit about the development of the film then. In fact, in terms of original scripting, one of the co-writers of Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Brent V. Friedman is their name, wrote an unproduced script for Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Stephen E. D'Souza, mm -hmm. writer and director of Street Fighter, he also uh, contributed an early draft, which wasn't used, but I think some elements were incorporated in the sequel, The Cradle of Life, which I have not seen, so I cannot verify or deny but uh, I was reading an interview with the director Simon West and he did this interview I think with Entertainment Weekly around about the time of the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider. I had to look at his career post Tomb Raider and it does seem rather like this film kind of killed his big Hollywood career. He has done films but I think the last film was a uh, one of the innumerable Steven Seagal movies that um, I've not seen. He did Expendables 2. He did mm. The Mechanic with Jason Statham. Wild Card with Jason Statham. Obviously, Jason Statham was in Expendables 2. But I guess he's probably most famous beyond Tomb Raider for directing Con Air. What, is, what does Simon West have to say? So there was this interview with him and it was largely talking about casting Angie and Jolie. So he said that um, names like Catherine Zeta-Jones, Ashley Judd and Jennifer Lopez were thrown around by the studio, but he never saw anyone else in the part but Jolie, thanks to her wicked off-screen persona. 
and that he had to really argue to get Jolie through. So he says she had a great dark reputation about her. She lived quite an alternative lifestyle and didn't hold back her words. She spoke her mind and she had a notorious reputation. It was quite hard for me to get her through the approval process at the studio because I wanted an actress who was going to bring something to the part. And she brought this great Angelina Jolie mythology with her as this dark, crazy, wicked woman with a very particular and interesting personality. I wanted that mythology of Angelina Jolie to fuse with Lara Croft. Mm. It's funny because straight afterwards the interview says, A source tells EW the studio never reached out to Lopez about working on the film. While a representative for Zeta Jones indicated Paramount did not hold formal meetings with the actress for the part, Judd's camp had no information to add about Lara Croft Tomb Raider casting, and upon EW's request for comment, Paramount did not have immediate access to casting details for the film. So it's basically just like, is he bullshitting? Well, that last point, I don't like it when people say, Journalists say they, we reached out and they did not immediately respond. No. It's I'm a busy studio. I've yeah, got exactly. things to make. No, I know, I know. I mean, but, I look, Wikipedia also says that Famke Anson was uh, uh, Denise Richards and Demi Moore were okay. considered. Yeah. British glamour models Lindsay Dawn McKenzie and Jordan was also rumoured by some tabloids, bracket citation needed. Yeah, she, she, I definitely remembered. I mean, this, this made... Angelina Jolie this film she had been in stuff earlier she but... had won an Oscar oh yeah <laughs> well that's the thing like in in this interview with with Simon West like he was arguing pushing for Angelina Jolie and the fact that she won an Oscar meant nothing to the studio because she'd won it for like a tiny film mm. and yeah still didn't have like a big movie under her belt in quite the same way that Tomb Raider became her. Well, I just remember that. I do remember all those um, those tabloidy stories that Simon West was talking about. I remember... Uh, was this before or after Billy Bob? That I think when he's referring Billy to... Billy Bob how, Thornton I'm talking about. When he's talking about the notoriety of Angelina Jolie at the time, it was, I think, because of that. Like, she had a vial of his blood, like... Mm round her neck at all times, etc. Now you can get those at any pound land. <laughs> just Billy Bob blood. <laughs> Billy Bob blood. I mean, I, I was read with interest that uh, I think when she was like 15, uh, she dropped out of her acting classes and aspired to be a funeral director, taking at-home courses to study embalming. I was like, yeah, it's an alternative world. She could be a funeral director. But now she's an actual director. So what do you think of Angelina Jolie in the role well we're not going to talk too much about this film in comparison to the later one they because the character of lara changed i think dramatically between the earlier games and the later games so in this film she, she's playing a different character to alicia vikander and i think she's fantastic I think that quote on the back of the box was correct. She does. She really is Lara. But like I said, this film, I think, kind of made her, OK, yes, she won the Oscar. But I think this was a movie star introduction. I think she had the confidence. She has the, the, the balls, basically. She's just, just got this. She's got this maturity, I think, um, about her. And like I said earlier, although, yes, although there was a sex appeal aspect involved in this, she, she reportedly wore a padded bra. Well, it says here, the casting, this is on Wikipedia, the casting of Jolie was controversial among many fans of the Tomb Raider series who felt she wasn't physically appropriate enough to play the large-breasted heroine. Others complained about an American actress being hired to play a British character. 
Others cited Jolie's tattoos in a well-publicised, controversial personal life. <sighs> Again, I would like Fans. to. I like to say things have changed, but like you, you got. Those are almost the same arguments about Captain Marvel. Yeah, blimey, O'Reilly. I mean, yeah, when just on that point, people were saying she's not young enough. She's too young to play an Air Force captain. But, you know, she's flipping flying superheroes. Give it a rest. Um, Jolie said, come on, I'm not so flat-chested to begin with. When I wear a tight T-shirt, I look a certain way. So it wasn't like they had completely changed me. There's one or two, you would say, gratuitous shots of this. There's a shower sequence. But I think outside of that, I don't get too much of a sense she's being sexualized. Or maybe that's now I'm just in my 30s and I, <laughs> I'm like dead down there. Daniel Trade spends more of the film naked. He does. I think it's working with the character and working with the actor rather than against her or in pure objectification mode. Yeah, they're, not, they're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I agree. I think she's great in the role because she exudes confidence from the get-go, but not in a sort of smug way. She's just... You can tell that she's very capable and with it. I like the fact that every now and then, you know, she pulls off a really sick move or shoots a robot or something and has a little giggle about yeah, it. Yeah, she's because, enjoying her work. Yeah, but also... At the same time, she has got vulnerability and when she does have these uh, moments where she's thinking about her relationship with her father, it does feel real. So, But is that, do you think, because, as was quite famous at the time, John Voigt, her real father, plays Lord Richard Croft? Yeah, well, I'm sure it helps, mm. but I still think it's... Good performance from her. I'll in give her a bit moments. of credit then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about John Voigt now since since I brought it up? Yeah, can do. We are skipping ahead a bit, but they 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 have one scene together um, because for for the whole film he's dead, but uh, she does meet him in a, some sort of spiritual sequence, and I was very moved by it, and I think he gives a very soft and, and lovely performance, and I do see genuine love there, and I think is perhaps enhanced by um they have a very t- pronounce this word tumultuous relationship in real life yes um, john voigt and angelina jolie's mother who said i forget the name split up and, and angelina jolie lived with her mother and they had only quite recently reconciled before the beginning of filming of lara croft tomb raider and shortly thereafter they um became angry they didn't like each other again for about mm. another six years and apparently current status is um uh, they are now friends again, but okay. uh, but but yes, I've been, I've always I've kind of always watched this film feeling really sad because shortly after the film, they were at each other's throats again, and there's a rare DVD Easter egg if you press a, a hieroglyph on one of the menus. There's they're hugging each other and saying how wonderful they are, and like maybe a, a year later, die bitch, Angelina Jolie says to her father. <laughs> but yeah, I mean this this film lives and dies on its main character uh, on, on Lara Croft and it is a fantastic Lara Croft you know it would have been great to have many more Lara Croft films and then now and have many different actresses you know in the gaps between the first two Lara Croft movies and 2018 ones so how are we introduced to Lara Croft 
In Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Um, upside down. Yes. Upside down, hanging off a rope. And she's got an outfit similar to the games. She's got her dual pistols, her famous dual pistols, which we mentioned in the Tomb Raider 2018 episode. And she's investigating what looks like a tomb because she's the Tomb Raider. I've seen this film so much, I couldn't remember if I thought it was a genuine tomb in my first viewing. Because now I know this ends up being a training... uh, A training tomb. A training tomb. My first tomb. Watching it now, I I can see how it looks a lot just like a big black room with lots of pillars in it. It's different from the other tombs we see later. I mean, the tombs we see later are still very set-like. I think they're quite good. They're nice sets. They're Mm. very pleasing to the eye, but they still feel a little bit set-like. The the game is given away by the fact that robots don't don't tend to hang around tombs. You know, that Egypt, robots, that whole connection. (laughs) No, it doesn't scan. It's the the Egyptian god of robotics. So what do you think of this little action sequence? So, uh, yeah, Lara is reaching towards um, some sort of priceless artifact, and then a robot gets to jump on her. I think because it's early early 2000s, CGI is not quite where it was today. Um, A lot of the CGI, though, in this film happens to be things which are rigid. So robots and and statues without any sort of movable skin. So that helps. It looks pretty good. Yeah, the the performance within the CG character itself is all right. It's more just... It's got a bit of sass. As we go on with the other CG creations, it's more just the integration within the rest of the film, which looks a little bit off. It's the rendering rather than design, isn't it? Yeah. It's the integration. And sometimes they do stick out like a sore thumb. But she dispatches the robot eventually... Yeah, so I think this is a a good point to acknowledge that this is in a very heightened fantasy type world. And again, I don't want to compare too much to the 2018 Tomb Raider, but I think that the, the film and the game's big thing now is, is to try and be a bit realistic, as, as realistic and tough as possible. But when you've got Lara bouncing around with an actual amazing robots which you even today would be absolutely incredible because there's artificial intelligence and all that jobby well is there artificial intelligence because i think well i mean you've seen the honda robots i imagine if lara was like attacking shooting up loads of asimos yes you can't go you gingerly go downstairs well sony ibo dogs are like you know running after her and she's just shooting them one by one i just imagine um honda and everyone are gathered around a stage and all these photographers flashing as the amiibo is like skipping with a natural skipping rope but then jumping out of the wing comes (laughs) angelina jolie with her twin pistols and blows it all away well no i only say that because um, we are introduced to the character Bryce, mm. who is played by Noah Taylor, and he drops a controller when he goes to rescue the robot. So I think he might have actually been controlling the robot rather than the robot artificially no. fighting. No, you got you got that wrong. In a rare in a, in a games on film first, I've been paying more attention than Rory. <laughs> He's wearing headphones. He is playing a games controller. He notices Lara comes in and he turns to his right and looks at a computer screen saying all the damage. And he goes, oh, bugger, bugger, which is like half his dialogue. So that 
absolutely implies that um, he was unaware of the damage being wrought on Simon the robot. So the controller was, he was playing a completely different video game yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Okay. Not live rounds, Lara. Oh, he's in real pain right now. This is a, a major remodel, you know. This is a disaster. Was it programmed to stop before it took my head off? Ah, oh, well, well, that would be a uh, no. Hmm. But you said make it more challenging, so. Hence the live fire. Hmm. <sighs> live rounds again. Poor Simon. What has she done to you? So Lara Croft, in about five minutes, has destroyed a priceless robot for the umpteenth time, apparently, decimated her... She's got her training tomb. And what's the point? I mean, that sequence ends with Lara saying to the robot, stop, and it stops, thereby making the whole training session pointless. Because if you could say stop... And then you know the mission stops. Then you, you're not you're not you're not training. So I, uh, Bryce says you wanted more of a challenge. Um, that's why he turned off the safety settings. That's why it's trained to kill her. Still need a safe word. I guess so, but it does. But it did it did strike me as a little bit odd how she could tap out. So she reprograms the robot, which was saying kill Lara Croft, mm. and instead she inserts Lara's party mitts. Because it's revealed the artifact she was trying to rescue from the tomb was an ancient Egyptian USB, USB SD card, mm. something like that. Something which was currently coming off Sony's production line. The film has a pretty banging soundtrack. Yeah. We were listening to it a little bit before we started recording just to get us in the zone. Maybe it was just that was that was our age. But, you know, it's got, what, Chemical Brothers? Basement Jets. Was that Absurd by Fluke? Mm. Or a remix of it as yeah. featured on the Space soundtrack? Yeah. A little she... bit of Missy Elliott later? Yeah. So I think for me, you two are best known for... Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Chill Me? Yes, and <laughs> Elevation. Um, because I think I just about missed their early good stuff. I actually couldn't rename... I mean, I know the album Joshua Tree. Uh, are you talking... I am talking now you about... You two to me? I am talking you two to you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm so bad at music titles, track titles. I, I just, you know, I, I just I put in a CD in the car and I know certain songs as track four, you know? I don't know. Oh, God, see, I know a lot of people think the song's shit. I secretly like it quite a lot. Especially, not despite, especially because of its terrible, terrible lyrics. Yeah, and it's pretty wacky music video. Yeah, where the edge is inserted into actual scenes from the film. And there's an evil version of U2. Yeah. I thought our U2 was the evil version of U2. That's what I thought. I bet evil U2 pay their taxes. <laughs> They're very responsible. But yes, the music on whole, really, really good. And um, the score itself, I think, is pretty cool. Which And it was written in two weeks, apparently. Okay. Because um, it was originally going to be scored by uh, Michael Kamen, but... Um, for one reason or another, he, um, I think, was forced out, it says here. Cameron wrote and submitted a demo for Tomb Raider, but no feedback on that music was returned by the director or producers. Only during the process of recording a second demo did Cameron finally hear back from the Tomb Raider team. And by then, the lack of enthusiasm for the relationship on both sides 
caused Cameron to seek other projects that were more promising, namely the HBO show Band of Brothers. Thus, the producers of Tomb Raider were forced to hire another composer at the very last minute. The man hired was Graham Revell, and he composed the soundtrack in less than two weeks. Who else shows up in this scene but Chris motherfucking Barry? He's a joy in this film. Credited as Christopher Barry in the credits, I noticed. I guess this was his feature film debut, so he wanted mm. to... Uh, like Dwayne use... Rock Johnson. Yeah, I wanted to use his full full name to make him sound more like a serious actor. Now, he plays uh, Henry, the butler. Hillary. Hillary. He's a video game character as well. I thought Lara had a butler. Yeah, just not called Hillary. Oh, I almost called her Lara Tomb Raider. That's be There's name. quite a few, I think, facsimiles of characters from the games in this film. But as far as I'm aware and as far as I could check, most of the characters in the film, apart from Lara Croft, are inventions just for the movie. Mm. But Chris Barry, he is... I think he's kind of firing on all cylinders this. I mean, he's not hes not the best character, don't get me wrong. He's no uh, Alfred Pennyworth from... <laughs> he's no Michael Caine from the Dark Knight trilogy. <laughs> just replace those characters. Imagine if Chris Barry's um, Hillary worked for Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Serving him guns on a silver platter. Exactly. So no guns, no killing. I think you'll find the 9mm rounds today, sir. But at the same time, I'd like to see Michael Caine play the butler in Tomb Raider mm. and start sort of crying about jewels the size of the tangerine. <laughs> I think, well, I'd, I'd much rather have Michael Caine um, in my corner uh, for raiding tombs. Do you know who was originally cast as Hillary? No. I bet it's someone better. Mm, define better. Uh, think other British sitcom actor. Uh, Richard Wilson? <laughs> I don't believe I mean, it. he seems Lara, more... this robot is coming... <sighs> this robot's coming out of your salary. I don't get paid a salary. I have an allowance. <laughs> uh, no, think probably similar age-ish to Chris Barry at the time. <sighs> Not Adrian Edmondson? No. Rick Mayle? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, uh, Alas, not. Shall cr- I just say? Cricket bats, go on then. Martin Clunes. 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 Well, it's funny, the, the guy who plays Mr. Pims in this film yes. doesn't seem a million miles away from Clunes. Well, the reason why Clunes didn't do the role was apparently that filming dates clashed with his wedding anniversary, and apparently he makes it a rule that he doesn't work on his wedding anniversary. Which is kind of nice. So what's, the, what's the whole of Tomb Raider filmed on one day then? <laughs> That, no, but there would have been... got a lot in. One day would have been on his wedding anniversary. I don't know. That's what... That apparently, according to Tomb Raider fandom wiki... I know. And, you know, Chris Barry's cinematic career, obviously, just skyrocketed <laughs> since uh, Lara Croft. And Martin Clunes, where is he now? Who knows? Behaving badly somewhere, yeah. no doubt. They're going to do a Men Behaving Badly reboot at some point. The, the post-Me Too version of Men Behaving Badly... I just say I found Chris Barry very amusing in this. Though I guess we've talked about Lara's two um, sidekicks, as it were. Did you notice there is like literally no women in this film but Lara? I made a note of this as well. This fails the Bechdel test spectacularly. Well, I was just trying to think. Are there any other female characters? And the only ones I could think of were the little ghost girls mm-hmm. or the girls she meets in foreign climes which disappear 
Mm-hmm. The only time there is a conversation between two women is when Lara is talking to the girl in Siberia in Russian. But who are they talking about? Her dad. A man. Yeah. <laughs> but and she's I, not. It has to be named characters as well. And unless her unless her actual name is Little Ghost Girl. Yeah. Um, then. But that's the thing. I was just I was thinking about just how they could have very easily had even just the UPS delivery guy be a girl or I don't know one of the other antagonists be a girl or just someone anybody mm, but there's there's barely I just just watching the film there seems to be almost no women at all even in the background the only other women I could think there's the woman who's giving uh the villain a back massage of her feet. Yeah, that's a strong role. Mm. And also, there's the lady in the auction with a fan who um, bids, outbids Lara okay. and buys a stupidly expensive clock. So, yeah, when, when you notice it, I mean, Lara is a, I mean, a fantastic aspirational character, but it uh, was quite bracingly upsetting just how little women... I mean... If I'm being generous, I'll say that you could say you could argue that this film is about the the contrast of Lara versus a world of men is quite powerful. But yeah. I think that might be an excuse which is used too lot too too much. And to the film's but, credit, you never have a character saying she's just a woman. I think I think everyone treats Lara with uh, respect. You know, yeah, they don't belittle her. I mean, I don't know if. The 2018 one did that. Again, different characters, so we'll put that to one side. I mean, one idea I had, it would have been really fun, I think, if if Daniel Craig's character, Alex, who's positioned as a rival Tomb Raider, it would have been interesting if Alex was a female archaeologist. You could have that mm. rivalry. And I know, again, there's an argument to say, oh, I'm tired of films where female characters are just pitted against each other. But I mean, you know... People always being pitted against each other yeah. in films. So I thought that would have been quite fun. And then there would at least have been another lady in the film. Mm. I guess this is where the plot kits in proper. Because it's the 15th of May. The first day of the planetary alignment. Right. I think we, I've uncovered... I've uncovered <laughs> so I've interrupted you, but I noticed something. Um, you say it is the 15th of May. Yes, the film begins on the 15th of May. A little bit later in the film, she receives a letter from her father, just like at the end of the Back to Future 2, where Marty gets a letter from the doc. I freeze-framed it, and it says the letter should be delivered on the 29th day of July 2001. So, and this film was meant to take place in seven days. Yeah, roughly in a, in a week or so. So, f- the, if my calculations are correct, the 29th day of July 2001 is not seven days away from May the 15th. No. I've just busted this film wide open. I mean, maybe... Is Simon West reachable on Twitter? Yes. I'm going to find that guy and say, what were you thinking? It was the props department. What were the props department actually thinking? I, I think they weren't thinking. Well, one could argue that the letter was sent through a time portal. Yes. Maybe... But that would require a lot of explanation. <laughs> that would. Anyway. Yeah, so, anyway, they do mention specifically it's the 15th of May, and it's the first day of the planetary alignment. Why would, but... you, why, sorry, why would you state that and then put that in the letter? 
I think probably a mix-up with the props department because mm. it's also 15th of May is significant because it's also the day that Lord Richard Croft, Lara's father, went missing in the field. And that's written on his tombstone. Not not one of the fields surrounding the Croft Manor. I don't know how big their estate is. <laughs> like, They've got oh, ages he, and ages. He, He's in here somewhere. He's just over there <laughs> eating berries <laughs> in his tent. But who's saying it's the 15th of May? It's some head of the Illuminati. We're in this big palatial Venetian chamber. Mm. And we are introduced to Manfred Powell, played by, by Ian Glenn. Ian Glenn, friend of the podcast. Yes, as featured in Resident Evil Apocalypse. And my dreams. And your dreams. What a villain. Mm. Definitely in the competition. I think we need to rank our video game movie villains at some point. They tend to are the best thing, aren't they? Because he is delicious mm. in this film. Uh, he has with him Mr. Pims. His associate. His associate, played by Julian Rind Tut. He is given the plot. <laughs> <laughs> But Basically, a, what, yeah, he, he's given an ultimatum. It's exposition for the audience. He's given a, a deadline of one week. He's told, are they trying to find the clock at this point? What, what do they say they need to find? Basically, according to their ancient cosmological models, mm-hmm. um, they need to be in the possession of the key. We don't know what that is at the moment in one week. And uh, they need to find two halves of the triangle. We don't know what the triangle is at this point. Or they'll have to wait. It's got three sides and... I think they know what a triangle is. <laughs> right, okay. Not a musical instrument as well. Were you confused that it was two, It ends up being two halves of a triangle, why not three? No, because any shape with them, so many sides can still be split in half. <laughs> but You can have a dodecahedron it, it, split in half, it's it, still two halves of a dodecahedron. But no, it just reminds me of Zelda where, isn't it in the original Zelda we have to find like six pieces of the Triforce or something ridiculous? Well, anyway, it turns out there were meant to be three temples. And three parts of the triangle in the original script, but it was cut down to two pieces. So my my spider sense of fat's not rightedness <laughs> was correct because I spent the whole film like, why would you make it a triangle and have two pieces of a triangle? I don't know. Anyway, they they need to find all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, or they'll have to wait another five thousand years. Mm. So, do we want to talk a little bit about Manfred Powell? I like the button on that scene because he exudes a slinky confidence. And as he's leaving, Mr. Pym says to him, well, uh, we, we don't have any leads, do we? And he goes, no. That little twist at the end gives you some a foothold, gives you something. I mean, I always like it when a big bad actually has another a bigger bad above him. And he's like, he's jostling for position. At one point he says, I'm sitting here at God's right hand. Mm. And he, he wants to be the big cheese. And so he's got somewhere he wants to be. He's got a little fire under his bottom, getting him, you know, he's going to be in trouble. And he can still stand there in front of the Illuminati and say, oh, everything's totally cool. But no, he's in his head. He's, he's, he's got seven days to live. Yeah, he really works... As a villain, because he does have that respect for Lara as well. And he's trying, he's like playing her game and she's playing against him. And there's just really sparky moments when they meet. I distinctly remember the trailer. I think it was the first time I remember a bit of dialogue in the trailer, which did not feature in the film. Because in the trailer, Lara goes, why might I trust you? 
you might try to kill me. And Powell goes, I'm not going to kill you. And she goes, I said you'll try. This does not feature in the film. It's really upsetting because it's a good line. I I realise I quote this film a lot, unknowing. I've not watched it since, probably since Daniel Craig was James Bond. So again, probably not, but sometime, 10 years or so. But yes, anyway, back to Croft Manor and... Lara realises the significance for 15th of May, as established. It was when his uh, her father was went missing in the field, and she wants to get back the time that was stolen from us, is what she says to, to the tombstone as she visits it. Well, did you like Lord Croft's concrete tent tomb? Sure. He obviously liked tents. Made me think what I would like to be buried in. If what, I... would you, what, what significant structure would you like a tomb shaped like? I'm looking around the room. <laughs> a KFC bucket? <laughs> a big DVD box? No, you're right. I can't think of anything. Okay, I'll get you a tent-shaped tomb then. Tomb. Just, I'll get you one just like Harry's favourite film, <laughs> Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I might as well use it. It, se- it seems rude to um, turn down someone who's bought you a tomb. So Lara understands the significance of the day in terms of the planetary alignment, so she is well aware just as the Illuminati, that this is of significance. And she mentions that Pluto and Neptune are in line with Unus. I think she very deliberately avoids saying Uranus. That's it the seems cor- like she says... Well, it's, it's, it seems like she goes so far as to avoid saying Uranus. And rather than saying Uranus, she kind of just says, like, Uranus. I, I mean, although I shat on the prop department earlier, <laughs> um, because obviously they don't know dates, um, the... Props such as the, the all-seeing eye clock we, we encounter later is a lovely chunky bit of bit of kit because it's like mm. a, it's like one of the most important things in your film. It felt really satisfying and it's a very beautiful item, and I'm sure it's resting in some uh, on some shelf in some you know, m- museum of movie memorabilia. And I think if I saw that, I'd be the all-seeing eye. Mm. Very tempting. How does she find the all-seeing eye? Uh, I was worried it's going to be one of these films where things just conveniently sort of happen at the same time. But she is woken up by a ticking. The ticking comes from this magical all-seeing eye clock, um, which has hit, been hidden in the manor by her father. And and so obviously the clock has been um, set to start ticking like this at a certain time. So I thought that was, that was, quite, that was quite a nice... It made sense that the the plot kickstarted in this way, and I think anyone, if you live in a quiet mansion, as as we both do, um, <laughs> if you start hearing uh, a leaky tap somewhere, it might start driving you crazy. It's kind of caught up. She has this kind of like nightmare style memory dream thing about her father, and we see a flash of a picture of her mother mm-hmm. in the locket pocket watch. That her father has. Do you know who that is a picture of? See, I was also... I watched part of this on the iPlayer and part of this on DVD. And when I was watching it on DVD, I had the commentary on, but with subtitles. So I think isn't it meant to be just some... One of the... I think like a prop girl, they said, or something. Apparently it's Linda Carter, the original Wonder Woman. What? That's not what Simon West said on the commentary. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe Linda Carter was working the props. I don't know. According to Tomb Raider Wiki fandom, I had a look and it does look like her 
but done in an old-fashioned style way. I don't know whether they just got her face and superimposed it onto some other old picture of I really wish someone I'd written else. that bit down now. I mean, it's a good thing, though, she is a light sleeper and she could hear this clock, because otherwise Lord Croft's plan begin, well, again began and ended with her sleeping through a ticking clock. The baddies wouldn't have found the all-seeing eye either. Yeah, again, like um, like Tomb Raider 2018, it's one of those plots where if they just left alone, everything would have turned out fine. I mean, things ultimately turn out fine. In fact, we've got less baddies in the world, so everything turns out super groovy. <laughs> so uh, Lara wakes up Bryce, who sleeps with all his miniature robots, apparently. They find the awesome eye in the clock. And then we have about, I feel, sort of like 10 minutes of the film, which are fairly inconsequential plot-wise, but they do introduce a few characters um first of all um is the deliciously um smooth sounding leslie phillips who plays is it wilson yeah his character doesn't really seem to serve any purpose other than to be a friendly face for lara to say yeah this is quite a valuable clock uh, <laughs> yeah and point her in the direction of, of the villain villain man for power but weirdly he he says when she meets him he knows nothing. And then the second time, he says, I know someone who can help you. And I think that we're meant to imply that he's he's done some sort of Faustian deal or something. He, he never knows, comes back. Yeah, he knows her father. And we get revealed later that the father was in the Illuminati as well. So it seems like he was also a member. And I guess he's trying to help Pal, even though it hurts him inside. Mm. But hey, we love Leslie Phillips. Um, he was the voice of Gex. Does he know? Oh, ding dong. Ding dong. Where do you put the batteries? <laughs> he would say when destroying a robot character. So he was not million miles away from video game uh, shit. But more importantly, we also meet at the auction Alex, who is the Lara boy. I mean, going back to our saying earlier about wishing there was multiple Tomb Raider movies, you know, gender equality. I liked the idea when I was a kid uh, or a teenager that... Lara would have a succession of films and, and a Lara boy. And uh, ironically, her first ever Lara boy ends up being James Bond. Yeah. I have to say, though, I found his American accent nose-bleedingly terrible when I first heard it. Not ear-bleeding, went straight to the nose. Uh, what, when you first saw the film? Not then, but now. Okay, because when I first saw the film, I guess this was the first time I'd seen Daniel Craig in anything, probably. Mm. And I just assumed he was American. So I think it's more like familiarity with how his voice sounds. Yeah, I would concede. I don't Actually, think... and then hearing it in American, and it's just like, it sounds like British Daniel Craig is screaming inside. Mm, yeah, no, I will admit, I don't detect anything. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it wobbles. Again, I've always mentioned I've got a tin ear for accents. But I think you're right. I think it's the, the, the tone of it. It's very nasally. It reminds me of, um, I think, in Blade Runner, Runner where um, Harrison Ford is pretending to be someone else. And he's got a nasally voice and he's trying to be like a dork. It sounded like that at the start. It's an interesting voice, but um, it took me a while to get used to it. But throughout the whole film, I keep seeing um, Daniel Craig just before he was Bond, thinking, gosh, it's, it's like being in another Bond film, but the camera seems disinterested in him quite a lot of the time. <laughs> there is a nice bit of interplay between them when he says, oh, Lara Croft, still pretending to be a photojournalist. Mm. And she says, 
Alex West, still pretending to be an archaeologist. Ah, burn. Ooh, burn, yes, yeah, sick burn. But anyway, Wilson points Lara in the direction of Manfred Powell, and what is it that she visits? Where is he? Because <laughs> I don't know if it's like a palace or a harem or a bordello. All three. Or, or all three. <laughs> he says he's a lawyer. That's how he introduces himself. But it's just this weird... Sexy place. M- Middle Eastern palace style thing, but in London. Mm, but later on, he's doing a bit of meditating. He seems to be in into this this shtick. Maybe he is just like this lawyer who thinks he's like really spiritual. I mean, I think that's part of the character is why we're meant to hate him, mm. is this idea that he's very rich but tapping into this sort of mysticism stuff. I, I, I wrote in my notes, eat, pray, wanker, <laughs> is how I would describe his character. He explains he's a studier of clocks and his lawyering practice is centres around antiques and... When he sees photos of the all-seeing eye, he says, I think I've never seen anything quite so beautiful I know so little about. This is a pleasurable torment. Mm, like this podcast. My ignorance amuses me. Like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But now Manfred knows Lara has the all-seeing eye, and Lara knows that Manfred is also full of shit. But going, going back to what you're saying about how people treat Lara... He sends an army to attack her mansion, so he's not underestimating her in the slightest. Now, this is a really good action sequence. We start with Lara bouncing around on her own personal bungee cool things, like you get at the Trocadero, or at least used to until it closed down. These sort of bungee bouncy chords, that's how she chills out while listening to classical music. But unbeknownst to her... Uh, a squad of Illuminati soldiers are surrounding her and, and basically crash through the window and shoot shit up. Yeah, probably shoot to kill the way they're just gleefully spraying mm. the whole uh, of the manor with bullets. Yeah, well, I mean, crucially, literally nobody dies in the sequence. Yes. A few people get punched, but they definitely do the whole A-team thing where Lara does fire a bunch of guns at what at some point, but hits nobody. Yeah. And neither Bryce nor Hillary receive well deserved uh shots to the head. That's that's <laughs> unfair. Well no, I mean Well the bungee stuff is is nice but like and it's used to do an action scene. It's a gimmick. It's like let's have her on a bungee cord thing so that when she does have to take out the baddies she can do so bungee style. Yeah, but I feel this film in comparison, again, to the most recent Tomb Raider, it feels just more tactile. The, it's a set which is being shot up. It was, um, I think, the, the big sets here were made on the Pinewood Studios, I think, 007 stage and things. And, and I, that's really surprised me because it looks like a very convincing manor, mansion set. And I can't deny it. It is a thrill to see this stunt person bouncing around the walls like Spider-Man. But sadly, the... Um, the clock is indeed stolen. They're in there to get the all-seeing eye clock and they nick it. Lara gets this letter. While they're cleaning up the mess, um, as they do most mornings, because Lara, this sort of thing is, seems to happen every day to Lara Croft, a UPS delivery driver arrives, delivers this letter we talked about, and the letter has a quote from William Blake. Um, yes, it, it says, To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower... 
hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Now, in a, in a modern Lara Croft film, she could Google where that came from. Um, but she she actually has the smarts to know it is William Blake. Um, and in the poetry book, there is a longer letter. And she must have thought, oh, Christ, I've got to read all this now. <laughs> but luckily, she has John Voight to narrate it for her. So oh, she yeah. doesn't actually have to read it. So it's more of an audiobook. And this basically... <laughs> <laughs> an audio an audiobook. This is not a flipping... Sony camcorder, which has been left in the crypt, like Dominic West did. So John basically explains the following. So try and keep up. So there's this triangle. <laughs> I'd like if his letter start like that. So Lara, like this is triangle, okay? And it was forged from the metal from the crater of a meteor that had fallen to Earth at the exact moment of the previous alignment of the nine planets, which is happening now. So about 5,000 years ago. Those two things have no connection, though, because a meteor landing at the same time as an eclipse, it doesn't... So what? No, but it's just one of those things where it's like lightning strikes a certain thing, just right time, right place. Okay. So, (laughs) because this happened during an eclipse, all these people build a city Mm -hmm. where the crater was formed by the meteor... And they worship the triangle because the triangle has the ability to control time. Go back a step. They forged the triangle. Yes. So, yeah, the triangle didn't land on Earth. No. It makes sense so far. Good. You're with me. Anyway, the power of time could be used for good or it could be used for great evil. Unfortunately, they decided to go for great evil, destroying the city that they had built in the crater of the meteor. I don't, they don't actually say the words, though, they used it for evil. They say it can be used for good, it can be used for evil, but then they say... It abused um, it. They abused it, maybe for good or evil. Maybe they which, just which, plugged which, it in the wrong way in which, the charger. Mm, well, they say the abuse causes the um, destruction of the city. Yep. How does messing with time cause a bomb to go off i mean maybe they did travel to like 1950s whether to a nuclear site and accidentally sucked up a nuclear bomb well they created and later on we see a time explosion so this must be a uh, okay maybe a chrono explosion if i'm trying to use the greek i don't remember the time explosion well you know when they join the triangle again and then there's a big shockwave i don't think the shockwave is necessarily meant to be an explosion what they could have done is just unwound time to the point when the city was not built and therefore rubbled it because mm. it just became I think we found some holes hole in the science here. If your dearly departed father wrote you a letter full of total bullshit, <laughs> um, would you take it at face value or would you believe every word he'd written? Anyway, because of the destructive power of this triangle, I guess the survivors or whoever still around, they split the triangle into two pieces and they decide to scatter the two pieces. I'm not sure you can scatter two pieces, but they do anyway. Mm. And they take them to opposite ends of the earth. Interestingly, we see two horses going in two different directions, but why not just send one horse to the opposite end of the earth and keep the triangle where where it starts? But isn't that what they do? Because they find Mm. one half of the triangle in Cambodia and the other half back in the crater. So where's where's that one horse going? In a circle? I don't know. Do you think the two horsemen were like, okay, mate, you go to the end of the earth and I'll go the other way, okay? And the other mate goes, yeah, sure, yeah. And they're just like, three, two, one, go. 
<laughs> I'm gonna stay here. Sucker, I'm gonna go see my family. Yeah. <laughs> I live here. And your family. I'm now the dad of two families. Yeah, while you go off on your suicide mission. Mm. Papa Croft, he continues, Hey, remember Jasmine? That's a plant. And there's a special kind of it that's in Cambodia. In Cambodia, there's the tomb of the dancing light. That's You're pointing what... at the microphone. Look, I'm pointing at Lara. <laughs> He's like, it's now like... listen up and listen well. Yeah. Tomb of the Dying Light. You better go there because that's where the first half of the triangle is hidden. And you better get there before the second phase of the alignment. Exactly. And by the way, the Illuminati, they're onto it too. They're a bunch of dangerous and devious men. And they're going to fulfill a prophecy that will make sure that they can control time and do awesome stuff with its terrible powers and destroy the world. So you must find and destroy both halves of the triangle. Yeah. Hillary and Bryce seem quite... Is it, how are you going to get to Cambodia in like 15 hours? And I was like, yeah, good thing I know army people can do it for me. I mean, it's very fortuitous that Lara does have a, do, a very quick direct access to Cambodia. And, Lara, and Papa Croft should have known this. <laughs> Imagine if our father passed away and we got a letter tomorrow saying we had to be in, I don't know, New York or Japan in five hours. It's like... Pissing hell. <laughs> anyway, so was Llama? Llama? Llama Croft. <laughs> oh, he adopted a llama. Hillary and Bryce service llama drinks. Is, is eventually killed by a robot. <laughs> what am I saying? So was Lara in the army or the air force or something? Or maybe it was just a paintball weekend that she, she saw a photo of. I don't think she's necessarily been in the army, but she has trained with them and oh. I guess has earned their respect. And also she has shitloads of money. That's true. But no, true. Maybe she learned her skills by just doing a hardcore army course like you can do at the in the park at the weekend to lose weight. Yeah, she's done a few tough mudders and now mm. she can command uh, military operations. Yeah. So she gets dropped off in Cambodia but Mr. Powell mm-hmm. and Alex are already there trying to break into the temple of the dying light. Dancing light. Dancing light. And the temple they're trying to get into is it's a genuine temple. It's a genuine temple entrance, but they had made polystyrene blocks in London to fit in the temple entrance like a jigsaw. And there was a bit of a hair-raising moment where they kind of started putting the blocks in and they think, is it going to fit? Is that why they decide to pull it down with ropes as opposed to use dynamite? Because they probably couldn't even use fake dynamite in front of an actual temple entrance. The thing about fake dynamite, it doesn't do any explosion. It's just a (laughs) stick with a twig in it. I'm not sure you get dynamite blanks. I mean, I'm not sure how you can recreate an explosion. Maybe it's all sound, but no violence. I mean, while this is happening, Lara's watching this happen from afar. And she starts hearing, like, creepy little girl... Giggles. Does She does half a diddy laugh. Yeah. We last mentioned the diddy laugh back in Castlevania. Um, which is the laugh we're hearing a lot, which originated in Diddy Kong Racing, or thereabouts. What do you think this little girl... I mean, it's just one of these wishy-washy, hand-wavy things where 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 does Lara get where she needs to be? Maybe uh, Ghost Girl I mean, points in that direction? It could have just as been as simple as it was originally in the sequence that we see where she follows some butterflies... And the butterflies lead her to the jasmine and the jasmine directs her where she stands and then eventually falls into the temple from there. There's lots of different hints at just using her 
botanist skills or using something like, oh, this tree leads here. And it's like that tree wouldn't grow out of that way unless there was an entrance to a temple or she feels a wind. And it's like that wind wouldn't circulate here unless there was an entrance to a temple. <laughs> wind. I don't know. I'm not maybe maybe an archaeologist. This, maybe the little girl is the spirit of her father as a little girl. This is why have you come to me as a little girl? No reason. Yeah. Uh, so she finds her way into the temple. I say finds her way. She falls through the floor mm. and she does this effect, which if you look at it, it's clearly her just standing there while things fly around her to create the illusion that she is falling through a hole filled with vines. But if you actually look at it, knowing that she is standing still on a soundstage, it looks you very can, odd because yeah. she's just standing there with her arms in the air going, Woo! Well, yeah, I, I have to admit, I'd never noticed it until I heard it on the commentary. And yes, it's quite funny to watch these just ropes being lifted up and and things. But I, I really like this temple set. You said it looked quite setty, but I... But a nice set. I feel just... I mean, I just... It looks like actual concrete. Harry learns the magic of the movies. But um, yeah, it just looked like an actual ancient temple. I'll be, I'll be horrified if this sort of shit was going down in an actual ancient temple they're making bullet holes they're tearing down walls she cares about archaeology but she doesn't care about the surrounds of the artifacts she needs to get to so she smashes she smashes the wall under the stairs to get to the clock she smashes the clock to get to the all-seeing eye well here's a question she's very dismissive of alex for caring about money what does she do archaeology for who ends up with her artifacts Indiana Jones famously was saying, this belongs in the museum, that belongs in the museum, anything belongs in the museum. <laughs> but Lara, we only ever see her in this film basically on her mission to unlock the mystery of her father or something or other. But what does she do with her artefacts she finds? I mean, maybe she still sells them, but she doesn't need the money because she has all this inherited wealth. She just has money fights with uh, Hillary, like Mr. Burns <laughs> and Wayland Smithers. She just has her own... Scrooge McDuck style mm. pit of money, except rather than coins, it's uh, old clocks. Yeah. And she pays uh, Bryce an allowance of £1,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets to live in her cult in the caravan outside. There's n- this is all a prelude to an action sequence, I suppose. There's um, your standard puzzle solving stuff. They get two minutes to work out the riddle of this temple they find themselves in. So they've had... 5,000 years Mm. since the last cataclysm. Well, I guess the Illuminati, I don't know how long they've been around, but a few hundred years. I don't know when they found out about this prophecy, but clearly it's been a while. And yet they give themselves 72 minutes to get into the (laughs) temple and then two minutes to solve it. And I know that's a very good point. I know that they kind of, they had to rush a little bit because they didn't have possession of the key at the time, but they could have just put some other... Put, put a bit more effort into it. Well, I mean, the, nothing about the key tells them about where to go. Am I right in this? The key does not tell them to go to Cambodia. Yeah, I'm not it's, sure. It's, it's, it's Lord Croft's letter which yeah. tells them where to go. So they literally could have, at any point in the last 5,000 years, <laughs> the Illuminati could have gone to this temple... Pull down the entrance. Worked, yeah, pull down the entrance, worked out what they need to do, and then just all we need is the clock. I feel a lot of pressure is put on <laughs> Alex. Pal, 
barks at Alex to solve this riddle in two minutes. Yeah, you're the Tomb Raider. Yeah, and then what if, like, it's two minutes 30 and, and bugger, no, they didn't do it. And Alex is like, well, shit, man, just give me two minutes. Jeez. Okay, so there's, like, a few lovely bits of dialogue in this sequence just as they enter, Powell says, into the belly of the beast. <laughs> Daniel Gray goes, and out of the demon's ass. What does that mean? Who knows? I say that a lot. There's another one of my quotes. I say a lot. Lara is examining the sort of, I guess, the script in the temple to work out what she needs to do. And she says, right, so touch anything and get your head chopped off, which I quite enjoyed. And the thing is, is that she's arguing that for them to give her the all-seeing eye so she can use it as the key to unlock what they need to in order to align everything. She justifies it by saying she needs to open it so that she can destroy it. But she also says, or I could just leave it for the next 5,000 years. And she's like, yeah, why not leave it for 5,000 years? Why open it to destroy it when you could just, oh, whatever, 5,000 years times Tomb Raider's problem. (laughs) I think the big issue is that she wants to meet her father. I think she wants to use it for her own evil ways. Yes. Um, so um, I, that just about justifies it. But yes, I remember a few dismissive reviews at the time raising that point. Why does she let them do so much? Yeah, I guess that is true because when she does meet her father in the time slip, mm-hmm. she is... <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that Rocky Horror Picture Show reference. She does complain, oh, can I not use it just this once in order to for us to be reunited and undo time? And he's like... You shouldn't. You shouldn't. But he doesn't give a good reason, though. I think he's sick of the sight of her. She says time was taken from us, and he says, but you'd be taking time from everyone, Mm. basically. Keep counting. You're making a big mistake. 41. 40. 39. Alex West. 38. Hey, Laura. 37. Tourist visa? No, I'm working. Lady Croft, tell me, is there a good reason why I just kept you alive? Yes. That is not the true I. This is the true I. It's not, actually. It's a mirror image. Miss Croft, I think you're trying to cheat me out of my little ray of sunshine. Why would I try and cheat you out of anything now? I need you to get the piece so I can steal it from you later. You're bluffing. Julius, make a mental note. Kill Miss Croft if she attempts any such thing. Yes, sir, Mr. Powell. Well, we can do it my way, or we can all come back in time for the next alignment, and you're welcome to try and kill me then. In, ooh, say, another 5,000 years. Twelve, eleven, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. <laughs> Three, two, one, zero. Well, I guess she was right. She solves the um, puzzle by putting the all-seeing eye in the correct slots and then jumping on a massive pillar which starts going back and forth towards uh, what looks like a big old jug, a big old urn. Um, she penetrates the urn and all this dancing light shoots out of it. Again, another wonderful Ian Glenn quote, pure light, fire and water, which 
in reference to what? I, I understand the first bit, pure light. Well, funny you should say that. Is it funny? Because I've thought about this line a lot. In the last 20 years. Or because so. I love the delivery of it mm. and just you can drop it into conversation whenever you like. But you said you watched this half on iPlayer. Did you watch it with subtitles? Yeah, I watched the first half an hour on okay. iPlayer. Okay, did you watch this scene with subtitles? No. Because according to BBC iPlayer subtitles, yeah. the line is mm-hmm. pure lust, fire and water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kind of want to stop it and watch the DVD subtitles now. Well, I did watch, I mean, just talking about subtitles earlier on in the film, when Lara's looking up the telescope at the alignment, she goes incredible. And the BBC iPlayer subtitle said Crescent. So I feel there was a, a little bit of maybe auto, auto um, subtitling. Erotica. Auto erotica. Auto, auto, <laughs> well, Pure lust, fire and water. But that's the thing is that I've thought about that line for years and years and years. And then suddenly to be confronted with this mm. line I was waiting for watching this movie. And then for that to pop up in the subtitles, it left me... Shaken. Oh, it does say that, doesn't it? Pure lust. What, a, what an odd thing to say. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why? And like Pim's already just shown me um, a screen cap of, he took a photo of it clearly, and um, Pim's has stood right next to him with, the, with an expression of a man thinking, why is he talking about <laughs> lust? I mean, it's not the temple of the dancing lust. No. Or maybe that was the place where it's, Manfred met. I mean, weirdly, Laura. one of the first names which comes up at the start of the film is the british broadcasting corporation yeah i did not know this is a bbc co-production yeah um I don't, I, yeah i thought i seen that too it explains why it's actually been on iplayer for the last eight months i mean like at the oscars if you win an oscar and then your legs turn to jelly and start spouting all sorts of gobbledygook perhaps he's just so caught up in the moment he just went <laughs> pure lust I mean, he does seem like a real sleazebag creepo. Mm. Because it's the early 2000s, we get a beautiful, I say that in inverted commas, beautiful CGI blob, which uh, plops out of, I guess, the ground. And Yeah, it reveals the... If you step into it, you go to Mars, like in Doom. (laughs) I guess so. It reveals half of the triangle, which Lara quickly pockets, but also this liquid brings to life a bunch of statues remember commenting in my old in, in the two in the first episode of games in the film how it was disappointing how there was no supernatural element in uh, that tomb raider in this one um it's kind of weird because they fight a bunch of reanimated or animated statues and never mention this to anyone when it would be the most is it paradigm shifting event which ever happened I mean, you can argue they're so obsessive trying to survive that they uh, don't acknowledge the weirdness of it. But I think a lot of people seem to take it in their stride. And La- well, La- Lara-, mean... Lara should come out of the temple screaming, fucking statues! The fucking statues are alive! It's like Doctor fucking who! I mean, she's dragged out the temple by a flying statue. She is as well. I, th- I, can't- I enjoy the sequence even as it... You could see the joints, ironically, because the statues are the yeah. joints. But the scene culminates with a ginormous six-armed bastard 
coming out to attack Lara. And I think it's pronounced Buddhist. Buddhist. <laughs> I found that quite mightily impressive and it felt very video gamey. A nice scene to have. I think the film would be poorer without it, even though it only lasts, what, 30 seconds? Because she swiftly dispatches it with a kick of the old. The force of, of Lara Croft karate kicking a massive stone pillar was enough to snap ropes and stick a sword, uh, stick the pillar right in the half of the, the big uh, Buddhist. <laughs> Lara and Powell have a little bit of downtime. Uh, Lara goes to, I guess, an Angkor Wat style temple complex for a, a bit of a breather. A temple reminded me of Mortal Kombat, but it's not yeah. the same place, is it? I'm not sure. No. Um, over the phone, Lara and Powell decide that they need to arrange a meeting in mm. Venice because one of them has the all-seeing eye, one of them has half the triangle, so they kind of need to work together mm-hmm. if they're going to either reunite the triangle or destroy it. So they meet in Venice, and that's where Manfred reveals that Lara's father was Illuminati and was actually his mentor too. He's not a lunatic. I said Illuminati, idiot. He's a lunatic. <laughs> uh, and that's where the aforementioned trailer line that we adjoin mm. and is sadly not in the film takes place. I mean, that, that room they're in, the big meeting of the Illuminati, is actually in Greenwich. And I've been in that room while shooting a film with Daniel Craig in it, actually. My God. My, my tiny, tiny, itty-bitty claim to fame was being an extra in The Golden Compass... Um, based on those wonderful Dark Materials books. And I spent two full days with a bunch of snotty kid extras who had all been in Harry Potter films and just sitting in the background while Nicole Kidman walked back and forth. And so whenever I see this this fancy pants room, which has shown up in Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, the outside is shown in Thor 2, it's always fun to see the set. So I'm like, this isn't Venice. <laughs> no, you can't fool this guy. But it's a, it's a nice little scene. I do like it when uh, the villain and the hero shows up and they're not immediately killing each other. They're trying to outplay each other. They decide to work together. Yeah, so she teams up with Manfred and she brings Bryce along with her and they meet in Siberia and they make their way to the ruined city where the meteor landed and go and check out the ruins there. And while they're there, they meet some Ruskies and Huskies. <laughs> yeah. You skipped over the Daniel Craig shower scene. That's not a big problem, though. In the commentary, they say they, that scene was originally cut out, but we decided to put it back in after a test screening. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, we need more Daniel, naked Daniel Craig. And we said, oh, that's lucky. Lucky you mentioned that. We've got this scene. I think it's more of that. We just, there, there wasn't enough Alex. They wanted a bit more fun stuff with Alex. Okay. But I was a bit shocked how Bryce was like, we take all doggies for some American cash. And I'm like, I hope they bring the doggies back. Yeah, it was also a little bit insensitive. A little bit. (laughs) He was incredibly insensitive. You know speaky English in your own country. There's also a big, uh, what are they called? Aquamarine boats? I'm going to say aquamarine. Sure. Water, I, marine. I, I think of them more as like the Thames duck boat tours. Yeah. Those be- big yellow boat cars. Yeah, I went and won in Liverpool called it a yellow duck marine. Mm. It's the whole Beetle connection. Shortly after he went on, they were decommissioned because it was one sunk. Okay. Apparently these boats are very sinky. On the commentary, um, they only stayed buoyant if these pipes squirted out as much water as they possibly could. And... 
not Lara, Angelina Jolie wasn't really aware that she was could quite easily get a very, very cold bath <laughs> very quickly. I don't know if this bit was filmed in Siberia or whatever, but... I think it was Iceland. Iceland. Well, I, I like the, the travel log nature of it, you know, and I, I like how you go to lots of different places. And I thought this, um, these icy wastes gives the whole thing uh, a very epic feel. But they eventually get to the middle of this city uh, on their huskies and go deeper and deeper inside the temple. But they eventually find a set. <laughs> <laughs> they stumble on a soundstage on a movie in the middle set. of a, a ruined icicle mm. cave city. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a big steampunk solar system sphere and i wonder do we, do we we don't get really an idea of who built it there's all these busts of what look like very russian faces so are we to assume that because this is where half the triangle is based that the russians found it and then created this orbital sphere in a way waiting mm. for the alignment to happen again so that they could then harness its power it does, seem... it does look modern it doesn't mm. look like an ancient temple from Thousands of years ago. Well, you know, the ancient Aztecs were, you know, very technologically advanced. They created the iPad 1 and um, dial-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I Well, I mentioned earlier how there were supposed to be three temples, and I believe the concept of this sort of aquatic temple was meant to be in Venice. And... Um, because, yeah, it doesn't really seem like it should be in like an ice, at the end of an ice tunnel. Because I guess the original plan then was that they had the Aztec zone, the <laughs> industrial zone, medieval zone. Yep, future zone. And future zone. Mm -hmm. And then it was going to culminate with Lara Croft finding the triangle in the Crystal Dome. Yeah, as long as she can get enough gold and silver pieces of paper i suppose i don't know what they are yeah that's our second crystal maze reference in two episodes i'm kind of going to keep on going just waiting for Lara croft tomb raider the legend of the crystal maze but in this space mm -hmm. time is broken here and we see that because there's all these time storms buzzing around this planisphere and a, one of the huskies leaps through a time storm and we see the insides of the husky for some yeah. reason and then it pops out the other side i'm not sure it, it, age, what it, that represents. it ages back to when it was a skeleton <laughs> <laughs> yes before it grew skin yeah because what happens first when you're inside your mummy's tummy is you a skeleton pops into existence when everything grows around it it's weird how clara is just like yes yeah, a time storm <laughs> she like it's like she's seen dozens of those before but in order to retrieve half of the triangle, they have to scale this planisphere and the time is ticking down and Lara makes it inside. She uses the well, all-seeing eye. She's thrown the all-seeing eye because both, both Alex and Lara are climbing around this. So there's a lot of throwing all the all-seeing eye in crucial moments. And if, if, if they threw or caught anything like me, then <laughs> we would, we'd have to wait another 5,000 years. But yeah, she uses it to get inside the middle of this big steampunk solar system and then... Uh, pops out the sun. Pops out with the triangle. Yep. The head of the Illuminati has also come here in a big puffy coat, holds up the pieces, and then another line I'm quoting all the time, England gets tired of this and goes, enough of this twaddle. He lifts the finger 
and his uh, Illuminati soldiers shoot all the Illuminati top, I guess, trustees. So there's been a bit of a coup at the last minute. Powell grabs the triangles himself. He puts the pieces together, expecting something amazing to happen, happen, but nothing happens. And Lara knows that still needs something from the all-seeing eye, yeah. I guess. To get Lara to help the Illuminati, Powell throws a knife into the chest of Alex. And so Lara tries to save Alex, but um, he dies mm-hmm. uh, trapped underwater. But this is maybe the line I enjoyed the most from Powell, because as Alex dies... He says, you had to let him go. No more bubbles. (laughs) A little bit later, though, as he's trying to get Lara to help him, Powell does say, give me the power of a god. And it made me think, can, for gods, for all his uh, omnipotence, can he go back in time? (laughs) I mean, we don't know. No. How would we know? if If God does something wrong... He would be like, oh, shit, and go back in time. No, he doesn't. He's I just, mean, this he, is Earth version 197,000 or something. He keeps getting wrong. He decided to flood the planet. Mm-hmm, that didn't work. But, like, if it was really a big deal to get rid of humanity, he could have gone back in time if he's that powerful. But mm. he hadn't leveled up enough to get power of time ability. He only had power of flood Despite the fact they've displayed a sort of contempt, maybe a begrudging respect for each other, Lara can't really have uh, Daniel Craig's death on her conscience. And so she throws um, the all-seeing eye into a time storm and it doesn't turn into a skeleton this time. Uh, not the skeleton of a clock. Um, it turns into... Grandfather clock. It's called that because your grandfather's skeleton's inside. (laughs) (laughs) You put all our relatives inside this clock. (laughs) Inside the clock is a teeny tiny bit of the uh, triangle, effectively a grain of sand, just like the poem. And uh, when she puts the grain of sand in this triangle, we get this surreal little bit of... All American gladiators, whether they're sort of Powell and Lara, I guess in some way to represent obtaining the powerful triangle or running up the sides of a pyramid. Lara gets her first for no reason other than I su- assuming she's just a bit more fit. And she grabs it and goes back in time and meets her father. Yeah. It's... Sending Powell into some sort of nebulous black cosmos. Yeah, it's very... Metaphorical. <laughs> it lasts. You with more of it. It lasts a matter of maybe ten seconds. This mm. whole symbolic running up the pyramid sequence in the kind of time explosion vortex, but it sort of sells the concept, even if it is just pretty nutty. She meets her dad, and I'm going to assume this is happening on some actual spirit plane. And, and like I said at the start, it's really sweet, really touching. The performance is. The Oscar-winning performance of Angelina Jolie really sells it. Not for this film. But, in fact, Angelina Jolie was nominated for Worst Actress at the Golden Raspberry Awards for this film. That's not fair. I know. Again, Golden Raspberry Awards can do one. Hmm. She admits, okay, maybe I don't want the power of a god. But she gets closure from her dad. So that she gets what she wants, really. She gets to say goodbye. She gets to spend a little bit more time with She has her time cake and eats it. She, she does indeed. Delicious. 
I know why you came here. Why you took the power of the light. This must not happen. Why? Why can't we use the power just this once? Why can't you stay? We can't change time. But time was stolen from us. And it's not fair. No, it's not fair. But you have stolen time itself. And you must give it back. You must destroy the triangle. Suddenly I feel so alone. You are never alone. I'm with you always, just as I've always been. She returns to the cave. She goes back in time, which is reversing. Alex survives his knife. The knife comes out of him in reverse. And there's this cool beat, musical beat going on. So this knife is hovering in midair, isn't it? And apparently she turns the blade around, which means that it is not that the handle ends up flying into Daniel Craig's chest, as what would happen. It actually literally changes direction and flies into Powell's chest. And that was actually how he was going to die. That was the literal end of Powell. Before they did some reshoots for a bit more action. Yes, because just like every video game movie... Regardless of genre, it has to end in a fistfight finale, mm-hmm. as we've noticed. And they say, go on, let's let's have a fight. No guns. And it's just, she acquiesces because, yeah, got to have 50 cuffs. What makes her stick around is that he reveals that he was the one who killed Papa Croft because Papa Croft betrayed the Illuminati and he took his pocket watch featuring possibly Wonder Woman. We're not sure. So Lara's like, okay, got to finish this. Again, there's, there's none of that, oh, she's a weak and feeble woman. She's just, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to punch you in the face. Apparently Ian Glenn had to do a lot of, had, had to be given a lot of convincing to, to properly kick the female stunt people and things. He wasn't such a fan of that. There was a deleted scene, I remember, where it ends up where Powell is trapped, embedded in the mm. side of the time pyramid with a screaming face. I would have liked him to go out that way. He, rather than just him being karate chopped in the neck and then just keeling over, he just knows he's he's slowly dying. And I find that horrific. Maybe that's just a bit hardcore for a, a PG-13, 12-rated movie. For some reason, the, the crypt is collapsing and she escapes the actual temple by going back on those huskies, but she's sort of on her feet. She's not on a sledge this time. I did wonder if like her big grippy boots could really slide through those tunnels. But, you know, we're at like the 87th minute and I thought <laughs> I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, she could have gone barefoot, but that would have been mm-hmm. very painful, I imagine. Yeah, she came back with no triangle, no toes. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, very frozen. And I hope she gave back, gives back the doggies. But hey ho, we cut to Croft Manor. Lara's, mm. Lara's wearing a dress yeah. and a lovely hat. Hillary, his character arc, I think, has been trying to get Lara to wear a dress. <laughs> and, Let's put some clothes on. Yeah, and so she does, and she looks like a lady, a proper lady at last. Mm. And she goes to pay tribute to her father's tomb, where there's a butterfly nestling, like the butterflies in Cambodia that led her to the temple. And uh, we get a little 
final button on the movie. Robot Simon has been fixed. Mm-hmm. Her dual guns are served to her on a silver platter. She whips them out. Freeze frame. Credits. With Basement Jacks. Where's your head at? Yeah, I, I must admit I was very excited about getting this song on the single. I think this uh, Where's Your Head At came out in the film before it was released as a single. And I was like, I want to get it. It was one of the singles I got. Anyway. <laughs> so, one year since we last tackled Tomb Raider. What are your thoughts on Lara Croft Tomb Raider? Well, I, I actually saw it maybe a year or two ago. I decided to watch it again. And my... F- Feelings of it seem to go up and down quite a bit. I remember enjoying it lots before when I watched it recently. I found it a little bit dull and not especially interesting or exciting. I feel like the flaws were more highlighted last time I saw it, whereas this time the strengths Mm -hmm. were more to the fore. Do you think it's because we just watched a whole heap of video game movies now? It's... Quite possible that that's the reason. It's in the upper levels. Critical consensus at the time was pretty bad. Hmm. That surprised me. I mean, yeah, it's, it's. I don't think it's a horrifically bad film in the slightest. Feeding into my points, I, I did genuinely enjoy watching it this time. Tomb Raider 2018 has popped up on Netflix for the last few months. I've not felt any great inclination to watch it, but it was very. It was a lot of fun to return to this universe, but it's just a lot of fun. One of the few positive reviews came from uh, Roger Ebert, who gave the film three out of four and said, Lara Croft Tomb Raider elevates goofiness to an art form. Here is a movie so monumentally silly, yet so wondrous to look at, that only a churl could find fault. I think that's pretty much the right sentiment for the movie. And I think where the movie works is because those set pieces are enjoyable, they're well shot and well put together, and the performances, particularly from Angelina Jolie and from Ian Glenn, make it just a delight. Mm. They have a good chemistry together. I mean, you need good co- as well as good chemistry between your you know, romantic leads. There's, I think, lovely chemistry between the cocksure male villain and um, and Lara Croft, who's like a cocksure lady. <laughs> yes, she is sure he is a cock. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so it was a pleasure to return to this. It's been too long since I had watched it, so I think I'll watch it again very soon. But we have closed the doors of Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, one year of uh, games and film podcasting. Do you think we'll do Cradle of Life in an, in, a, in another year? Yeah, I think we should make it a, a tradition, although that tradition will run out very quickly because mm-hmm. there's, at time of recording, only we could three re- Tomb Raider films in existence. Yeah, we could review a LucasAid episode for the one after that. Maybe they'll make Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider two so we'll just wait and see listeners so but um what are we gonna tackle next from one big hitter in the video game movie canon to another we are going to be doing at long last street fighter Ah. Ah. it's very exciting because um it's showing at the prince charles cinema in london isn't it yes so we're going to see it on the big screen Mm. for its anniversary I guess... 25 years. 25 anniversary screening. In the meantime, how can people stay in touch with Games on Film? 
Well, you can visit our website, gamesonfilm.witssite.com slash podcast, or you can find it through tinyurl.com slash gofpod. On the website, you can find all kinds of links to ways you can support the show, as well as to contact us. But you can also do so via email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, and you can find various updates about the show, as well as updates in general about all the activity that's going on in the video game, movie, and TV sphere on Facebook and Twitter at gamesonfilmpod. All episodes of the podcast are on soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod, and the music for this episode and all episodes was composed by David Lightfoot. You can also contact us individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Games on Film Pod 2. So we're pretty much everywhere you turn. You forgot, did you mention Spotify? No, you can listen to us on Spotify too. <laughs> I mean, if you've been liking us for the last year, you could do worse and go to co-fi.com, pronounced coffee.com. And send a little money away, which contributes to uh, renting and uh, watching movies. Yep. Because sometimes Ray has to pay me to watch these. (laughs) And we also have an Amazon wish list, and you can find the link to that on the website as well. And you can maybe buy a movie for us to watch, and we'll thank you on the podcast when we get round to that particular movie. And of course, very exciting again, we are doing a live podcast episode. Yes, we're going to be at EGX Resed on Thursday the 4th of April at 4pm. You can find us in the Fringe Theatre. We're going to be doing a panel where we nominate games that we would like to see adapted into film or TV shows, and you can join us and come up with some suggestions too. Mm, Looking forward to hearing your great suggestions. (laughs) They're not going to be any worse than ours. (laughs) No, it's going to be fun to do a live episode, so we hope you can join us. Well... It's been a pleasure spending time with uh, Angelina Jolie's Lara Croft. I look forward to seeing her again. Thanks very much for listening, kids. <laughs> I don't know why I said kids there. Thanks very much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.